today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. And we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. continue our study tonight in the book of Romans. We are still in the introductory verses of chapter 1. We're going to pick it up with verse 7 tonight. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the phrase there, to all that be in Rome, uh, is referring to the church there in Rome, but as well it has to do with any and all believers for all of time. The phrase there, beloved of God, actually says in the Greek text, God's loved ones. And the Greek word for love is agape which is the God kind of love. And if you want to know what that's like, all you have to do is look at the cross. His love is unconditional. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. I want you to notice, if you've got your Bibles there, um, the phrase there, called to be saints. Now, if you're looking at a King James Version, I want you to notice that the words to be are in italics. You see that? All right. That means that they were added by the translators. They're not in the original text. And the reason for that is when you're translating from the original Greek and Hebrew into our English language, sometimes the translation Uh, comes over a little clumsy in our English. And so the translators would have to add some connecting words in there in order for the sentence to make sense, if you follow what I'm saying. And so that's done throughout the Bible in the King James. So anytime you see those words in italics, that means that it's not in the original text, but it had to be added by the translators to make sense. Now, the problem that presents here in this particular verse is that it gives us the idea that at some point in time in the future, we will become saints. But the fact is, God calls us saints right now. So don't let that throw you off. Don't think that at some point in time in the future I'll be a saint. You're a saint right now. I didn't call you that, but God calls you that. 
you've been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, you're just as clean right now as you'll be a million years from now shouting around the throne of God. Uh, There's no such thing as being more clean. You're either clean and washed by the blood of Jesus or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. You're either justified by faith just if you've never sinned or you're not. And it's all through and by the blood of Jesus. Um, What exactly is a saint? I like the way one particular Bible scholar defined it. He said, a saint is one who was once a sinner, but who in answer to his faith in the Lord Jesus has been set apart by the Holy Spirit for God, set apart from sin to holiness, from Satan to God, out of the dominion of the first Adam into the dominion of the last Adam, to live a set-apart life of separation. Now, that was his definition of a saint. God calls us saints right now. Although, if you'll be honest, at times on the outward appearance, there are those who do not appear to be living a life that is separated unto God. But God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart of the individual. And if any person, whomever that may be, has sincerely repented of their sins, and they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are obedient to the faith, they maintain their faith in Christ and what He did at Calvary, God looks at them as a saint. And if they will be obedient to the faith, as we looked at in verse 5 here a couple of weeks ago, that phrase being obedient to the faith, which is simply keeping your faith in Christ and what he did at the cross, that allows the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, the effectual working power of the Holy Spirit to work within that person's heart and life and eventually their actions, their demeanor will become that of what we consider to be a saint. So just because you look at a Christian and their outward appearance does not seem to be that that you would consider or think of as being a saint, just understand that as long as they're maintaining their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will work in their life and and bring the outward appearance up to that of being a saint. But God calls us all saints right now, and it's not because of anything that we've done or don't do. It's all because of where our faith is at. Now, take a look there in the latter part of verse 7, Romans 1 verse 7. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace is freely given by God to the whole world, but before its effectiveness can be experienced, it has to be accepted by faith. And all who believe uh, will not only experience the grace of God, but at the same time they will experience the peace of God, which passes all understanding. So when you get right down to it, grace and peace go hand in hand. Uh, When you've got the grace of God working in your heart and life, at the same time you're going to have the peace of God. And both come from God the Father. 
who sent his son, who was obedient to the death of the cross, so that you and I could experience this grace and this peace. Now look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, I want you to notice the word first there. And as you go on down through this chapter, you'll find that it's not followed by a second, a third, a fourth, and so on and so forth. So this word first is here to stress the importance of what is being said. And that which is of the utmost importance is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation on which everything else is built. Um, Haven, if you will, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything. And Jesus told the story about building on a firm foundation. Um, If you'll go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Jesus Christ is that rock. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that you are Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. But Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. But my Father, which is in heaven, he has revealed this thing to you. And I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when Jesus revealed all of that, He went on to tell them from that time forward how that he would go into Jerusalem and he would be turned over to the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. He would be crucified and he would raise from the dead the third day. In all of that, the Lord was telling us who he was 
and what he came into this world to do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the foundation and that which our faith is to be founded on, Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. Now, if our faith is founded on anything else, and it makes no difference what the anything else is, let me just stop right there before I go further. There are different religions out there, and I'll take Mormonism as an example. They teach that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. And they go on and they teach other things that line up and have similarities with Christianity. But it's like this. If you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. You understand what I'm saying? If you get Jesus wrong, it don't matter what else you get right. Because Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God, Jesus Christ is God, and he died on the cross for our sins. The, the Muslims say that Jesus is a good prophet, but they deny him being the Son of God. They deny his deity, and they may get other things right. They believe he was virgin born, and, and the list goes on and on. They believe he died on the cross. But if you get it wrong, if you get Jesus wrong, it don't matter what you get right, you're going to be off base. You're going to be like the man that built his house on the sand. And Jesus talked about that, Matthew 7, verse 27. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The storm came on both of the houses there in Matthew chapter 7. And when the smoke cleared, there was one that was standing, and the other one was totally destroyed. And some would say, well, the house fell because of the storm that came. That ain't what Jesus said. He said the house fell because it was not built on a firm foundation. You see... Storms are going to come. Until Jesus comes back, there are going to be storms. There are going to be tornadoes, hurricanes like Fran, Floyd, Katrina. These things are going to happen. There's nothing we can do to stop that. But the storms I want to take a look at are the storms of life, storms with your children, Storms at home, storms in your finances, a storm of death. All of a sudden, someone close to you passes away and it was unexpected. That can be a storm that we all have to go through. And these storms of life will come. And my question is, how is it that some believers can go through a storm and come out all right, but others, not so much. 
Have you ever thought about it? Why is it that in some cases there'll be a death in the family and that'll draw the person close to God, but in another situation it pushes a person away from God? How is that? Why does God allow these things to happen? Our faith is very important. That's the reason the Holy Spirit through Paul, there in Romans 1 and verse 8, he used the word first. He also said, if you'll notice there, Romans 8 verse 1, he said that their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. And that speaks of a great faith. you talking about a faith that's known all over the Roman world of that day. Now, that's great faith. Faith has to be tested, and great faith has to be tested greatly. And Peter said, if you go to First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter said there in 1 Peter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He said the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. This comes from a man that denied the Lord three times. If anybody knows about a trial of faith, it was Simon Peter. He compares our faith to gold, which is one of the most precious elements in the world. But when gold comes out of the ground, it's in an impure state. So it has to go through a purification process. And it goes through a purification process of fire. And when it's put in there... And it's heated up. Those impurities in that gold will come to the surface. And the workers will come in and scoop out those impurities and things that are not there. Or that shouldn't be there. And at that point in time, then that gold can be used uh, for a number of different things. One of the biggest uses for gold today is in our electronics. Because... Electricity uh, can flow through it better than it can copper. It has certain features about it to where the power can flow through it. Our faith is likened to that of gold. Our faith is not as pure as what we think it is. So it has to be tried by fire. And God will put us in that furnace to test our faith. When we're in that purification process, impurities will come to the surface. And when we see these things, we are to call those things out to the Lord and say, Lord, you've got to help me with this, whatever it may be. And once you go through that trial of your faith, your faith will be purified and once that gold, like I said, is purified, it can be used and power can flow through it better than anything else. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Once you go through a trial and the impurities are removed and you come out on the other side, 
The Holy Spirit of God can flow through you better than it could before. Understand what I'm saying. So the trial of your faith is more precious than gold which perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is sometimes when we're going through this trial, we want to blame the trial. Well, if my boss man won't be in so contrary, if my wife won't be in so contrary, hello? (laughs) If my teacher won't so hard to get along with, we want to blame the trial. We want to blame the heat. But understand, God is the one that's allowing this. He's allowing it to purify your faith. God's trying to show us some things. And like I said, if we'll be honest with ourselves, when we're put in that trial, then impurities will come to the surface and we need to recognize these things and ask God to remove those things from our lives. Let me give you another example. The Lord told Simon Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Simon Peter said, not so, Lord. Not me. I'm the rock man. Upon this rock, I will build my church. It's to me that God revealed to these other disciples who you were. Not me, Lord. I won't deny you. You go to prison, I'm going to be right there with you. If you're going to a cross, you're going to look over and I'm going to be hanging right there with you, pretty much, is what he was saying. And we all know the story. But the Lord told Simon Peter, Haven, if you will, go to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. I want you to notice that. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. He didn't say, I prayed for you that you fail not. God, the Lord already prophesied and told Simon Peter what he was going to do. You're going to deny me three times. But I pray that you don't allow this trial, this test that you're going to go through, I pray that you not allow this thing to rob you of your faith. I pray that your faith fail not. Now that's a key. That's something we all need to think about because we all fail the Lord at times. But the point is I'm trying to make is this, do we allow that failure to rob us of our faith? As long as we don't allow that thing to rob us of our faith, we'll be all right. But the moment you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit's going to nudge you. You shouldn't have said that, or you shouldn't have done that, whatever the case. And we're to repent of that thing. 
But Peter was going through a trial of faith, and it was going to show him where his weaknesses were. And his weakness was faith in himself. If you read that story uh, about Peter denying the Lord, you'll see that, where pride was one of his problems, but his faith was in himself, what he thought that he could do. But when it was all over with, the Lord said, when you are converted... And if you'll notice there in Luke 22, verse 32, latter part of that verse, he said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Only when your faith has been tested and tried and you come out the other side, it's only then that you can strengthen others and help others. You have to go through some things. And sometimes it can be a little rough. But when we've gone through some things and our faith has been purified in that thing, then we can help others. The Lord was praying for Peter that his faith fail not. And that's synonymous with what Paul did in Romans 1 and verse 9. Haven, if you will, pull that up. Romans 1 and verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul knew that these people had great faith. As you can see there, once again in verse 8, their faith had been spoken of throughout the whole Roman world of that day. He knew that their faith was going to be tested greatly because they had great faith. And that's why he prayed for them constantly. Rome is where the great persecutions against Christians began. When Nero came to power, he enforced a law demanding that all were to call him Lord. They would pull Christians aside and they would say, proclaim Caesar is Lord. But as a Christian, you can't do that. Because we know Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of that, many Christians were thrown into the gladiatorial arenas. They were torn apart by wild animals. Uh, some were crucified. Some were burned at the stake. And the list goes on and on. They were tortured. Persecution came. It was a trial of faith that these Christians went through. And the reason for that is, our faith is first. And I want you to notice that once again. Romans 1, verse 8, first. It's not followed by second, third, fourth, so on and so forth. First means that which is of the utmost importance, and that is our faith. Our faith is first. In the mind of God, it is the most important thing that you and I have. Faith is what's going to get you to heaven. And understand that. But your faith has to be tested. Is your faith in Christ and what he did? Are you trusting in what he did? Or have you allowed your faith to shift into what you yourself is doing? Are you obedient to the faith, as we talked about here the other week? Just as Jesus prayed for Simon Peter, 
the Apostle Paul was praying for these Romans. And this is the thing. Paul had never seen these people. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. He didn't establish this church. He had only heard about these Romans. And he had heard about their great faith. He didn't know these people, but yet he was praying for them. And if the Apostle Paul prayed for people he didn't know, how much more should you and I be praying for one another, the people that we do know? Follow what I'm saying. Because I know that all of us sitting here tonight, we're going to fail the Lord. We're just human. And I'm not giving you a license to go out and sin if you're saved, you don't want to sin. But I know, if you'll be honest with yourself, things happen. We say things we shouldn't say at times. We do things we shouldn't do. But we should pray for one another that when these things happen, that our faith fail not. Our faith is first, and it's very important. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.